Alan, before we begin our uh, typical festivities today, uh, we have a bit of business to take care of. Take it. <laughs> take care of that business, Rob. TCOB around here. That's what we say. You know, you got time to clean, you got time to clean. TCB that BTO. <laughs> but uh, first of all, I'd like to encourage everybody to check out and subscribe to the Brit Pod Scene podcast, uh, wherever you buy, rent, or steal your podcast today. The current episode as of this recording, which is episode two and should presumably always be episode two, has an interview with myself and Alan as a part of their series interviewing and possibly humiliating American podcasters. Could be. So uh, we were interviewed by Carla of the Theme Park Films podcast. Thank you, Carla. Thank you, Carla. And uh, our maybe our favorite uh, British podcaster. Well, it's a tough competition. Let's just see how the fallout <laughs> yeah. goes. I mean, we'll accept bribes. That's all I'm saying. But she was a co-founder of the Brit Pod Scene, which is an awesome network of British podcasts that you can find on Twitter at Brit Pod Scene for their podcast or uh, hashtag Brit Pod Scene. So thank you guys for talking to us and letting us uh, uh, crap up your show. All I'm saying is we accept Venmo. <laughs> Well, I, we also, I've got a second announcement too, which is slightly uh, less timely, but still timely. Um, we are doing our first live show and, uh, what's well, online. Does that, does that count as live? Uh, yes. Well, we're really excited. Uh, we're going to be part of the second annual live stream for the cure, which is a podcasting telethon that will be going on on May 18th to 20th to raise money for cancer research. And that's none of that awareness stuff. That's this is actual research that they're raising money for. That's right. It's it's hosted by the Epic Film Guys, and yep. we're grateful to be a part of it. Yeah, we're going to be doing a, a thirty minute block on Saturday, May nineteenth at four thirty Eastern time. Um, so we're going to actually do a live interrupted story read, and we're going to play some games during it. So uh, we'd love everyone to come by, support cancer research, listen to our nonsense live, and uh, really listen just to hear a sweat over doing this thing live. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. That's that's most of our audience's um, backstory is uh, figuring out ways to torture us. <laughs> All right. Uh, enough shilling for us and for charitable causes. Let's, uh, let's start the show. It's time. Time for a thrilling story of romance. Adventure. Mystery. Anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello and welcome folks to the show that usually ends another episode of Interrupted Tales. The podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am Rob, and I'm joined tonight by the Robin to my Batman, Alan. How are you, Alan? Come on. <laughs> I'm at least a Gleek here. Space Monkey Gleek? Yeah, Space Monkey Gleek. What <laughs> other... <laughs> How many Gleeks do you, do you think... Uh... No. <laughs> I'm laser-focused on getting this episode done, Rob. Nice. All right, that's what I like to hear. So let's get right to it then. This week... We have a tale of chilling mysticism, and it's from the February 1938 issue of Weird Tales, and it's called The Piper from Bhutan by David Bernard. 
So now, it's time to grab a drink and curl up in your favorite chair while we read you this week's tale. I regret, gentlemen, the trouble I have caused, but I'm deeply grateful for this chance to tell my side of the story. And in my defense, if those people didn't want their AIDS drug prices to be increased 300,000-fold, then maybe they shouldn't have gotten AIDS. Or alternately, they could have gone with my brilliant plan to give 25% of America AIDS, thus increasing demand and lowering the price a little, Hopefully, you're smart enough to take that into account during my sentencing, signed Martin Shkreli. I'm, I'm really glad he got his chance to tell his side of the story. Well, if only that judge hadn't been so damn stupid. <laughs> and I believe I can show you that, despite the bitter remarks by Professor Dubois, my action does not warrant my expulsion from this college. And indeed, if you count Catherine McPhee's baby, then clearly we have 30 pledges. Quod aerat demonstratum. <laughs> B-Y-O-M? Bring your own mouth? Yeah. I've studied psychology under Professor Dubois for four years. My record and the testimony of my classmates to the, will prove that. Prior to the experiment the other night, my relationship with Professor Dubois was mutually satisfactory. Oh, oh yeah, it was the talk of campus. Hey, look at those two guys. Just the most satisfactory of friends. Totally inseparable on the rare occasions when they meet briefly for required college functions. Everybody knew that. Talk of the campus. I say now, as I've said, that he's intellectually dishonest and untrue to the spirit of experimental science. The truth, gentlemen, is no insult. Well, the truth could definitely sound like an insult. <laughs> it started with the wizened old man from Bhutan. He came to the college with delegates from some mystic society. Mm, Toastmasters International. <laughs> he could play music. So they told Professor Dubois that could restore vitality to the recently dead, keeping them alive until he stopped playing on his pipe. Um... Pipe, excuse me, it's called a Resican flute, Rob. Ah, oh, music majors. And I wish they would have accepted my bid. <laughs> I was working in the laboratory with Professor Dubois. He told the delegates that he was busy. I don't care if it's not a real <laughs> flute. I'm not going to play it anyways. I'm just going to keep it in a glass case and take it out sometimes. And make the mouth noises like I knew how to play the flute. Oh, besides, he said, I have tested at least a dozen individuals with similar claims in the past and unfailingly showed them up as frauds or clever hypnotists. Why, if I had a dollar for every... Bacock? Bacock? <laughs> <laughs> I think I blew a microphone. <laughs> Get that diaphragm back in place, Rob. <clears throat> the thing is just physiologically impossible. When you're dead, as the old saying goes, good day, my friends. Is that how the saying goes? No, he's when just... When you're dead? 
Good no. day, my friends. No, it's when you're dead, you're dead. He's just kind of saying, like, you know, he's being cool. No, I got it. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your help, though, Rob. That's why I'm here. Yes, and. <laughs> this is why I failed out of UCB. Well, I won't repeat what the mystics said, but they left in a huff taking the shriveled little man in his outlandish costume with them. This is bullshit. We came for a peer review process, and he didn't review any of us. Maybe they're not his peers. And soon after, we were again disturbed by a visit. It was the professor's brother-in-law, Detective Lieutenant Crane, and he had bad news about Richard Mason, a friend of Professor Dubois. Mason died early this morning, Lieutenant Crane said, snuffed out by an overdose of morphine given to him as medicine. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry, it's, it's been a while since my sensitivity training. When I, when I say snuffed out, of course what I meant to say was totally bit the big one. <laughs> then he went on to tell the shocked professor that Mason's partner, Rumster, was being held. We know he's guilty as hell but he's got enough of an alibi to beat conviction if we bring him to trial, unless we can break him. Sorry, it's also been a while since my media training, so what I meant to say there was convince him to confess voluntarily without any threat of force or the expectation of a beating with three to four nightsticks. <laughs> it's a range of nightsticks, I like that. Well, <laughs> the force collectively has three or four nightsticks, oh, so it's... We don't do good inventory. <laughs> it depends if what is checked out for the night. And that, gentlemen, is how the experiment started. Professor Dubois, to demonstrate the power of suggestion, his special field in psychology, Lieutenant Crane, to break a confession. And me to eat popcorn and live-tweet it. The professor called the Mystic Society saying he had decided to give the old Bhutanese piper a scientific test. They apologized for calling him a closed-minded bigot and other choice epithets, and said they'd give him all the space he wanted in the next issue of their magazine to report his findings. Hey, listen, it's a respectable scientist's publication, so we're willing to give you up to two pages that we normally reserve for psychics. They're just like us pictures. <laughs> now, we're going to have to move the Ed Anger column, but uh, Bat Boy is going a little short this month, so I think you'll have plenty of room. The Loch Ness Monster, who wore it better? <laughs> they, of course, had already proven the Piper's magical ability to their complete satisfaction. They were disappointed when the professor said they couldn't have representation at the experiment. But after all, scientific recognition is scientific recognition. Oh yeah, Nobel Prize, Darwin Award, whatever. We're just happy to be nominated. <laughs> well, gentlemen, I accompanied the professor, Lieutenant Crane, and a little old piper to the home of a radio impersonator who had known the late Richard Mason. And we are back. It is six past the hour, and I'm joined here by you fellows in my living room. Coming up, some sort of crazy voodoo ritual after we get the let out. You know, you just you press that button on my stereo and Led Zeppelin starts playing. <laughs> Professor Dubois planned everything. He spoke to the radio artist, with the latter imitating Richard Mason's voice, while the Bhutanese played away on his pipe, and Lieutenant Crane and I worked with a phonographic machine, making records. 
and they're going to be hits too. My aunt's going to pay for the whole run. <laughs> it's just like the Oneaters. <laughs> the Piper. The Oneaters. <laughs> the Piper took it all deadly seriously. Though he kept jabbering in his Tibetan or Chinese dialect, asking, I'm sure, where the dead body was. Yeah, it's it's funny how all those foreigners just jabber in their languages that I don't understand. I'm, I'm so lucky to know English, which somehow has no jabbering in it. <laughs> no jibber-jabber at all. His music. Uh, that's what you should have said, Rob, uh, that I'm your jabber-jaw to your Josie and the Pussycats in outer space. <laughs> Certainly. (laughs) Uh, Timely references. His music. Well, you can't hear it now, for which I'm terribly sorry. But what music? Ah, the dude was playing behind his back. He was doing these Pete Towns and whirlwinds. At one point, he even lit it on fire. Uh, No, wait. He was just taking a cigarette break, and I... (laughs) It wailed seemed to be talking, pleading in a weird, melancholy voice that somehow seemed to beat right through you. No melody as we know the term, just a haunting, lilting strain, like nothing I've ever heard before, or hope again to hear. Yeah, but is it is it more haunting than three rubber bands, Rob? Hard to say. <laughs> it's a tough call. At Professor Dubois's direction, we made two excellent recordings, and in a few hours, everything was ready. Okay, I'll just hit the publish button on iTunes and... Wait, how do we have negative 43 downloads already? (laughs) I I don't understand the algorithm, I've told you before. (laughs) In a secluded house at the end of town, the accused rumster was made the subject of the experiment. How are we in 19th place in Bhutanese pipe music? (laughs) How is this? <laughs> One through 18 are all the same guy. What the hell? We had the corpse of Richford Mason in one room. In another, the Bhutanese Piper. In the room where the lieutenant, the professor, and I sat with Rumster were the two records. That's like a fun Irish wake, but everybody went to rehab and mm. just sat quietly instead. So, yep. Fun. One was a phonograph on the table. The other was a phonograph hidden behind the sofa. This hidden machine had a catch protruding just a sixteenth of an inch from the corner of the rug. A tug with your shoe tip would set off the record. Uh, that's got to be weird for the housekeeper. <laughs> Can you vacuum a little for me? Uh, Uptown funk. Uh, give to you. Sad night. Should have gotten the Dyson. You think the Dyson would have helped? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dice would have scratched it. It's got technology in it, Alan. Okay, wait. Oh, yeah, it's going to play Chun-Li instead. (laughs) It's updated. It's super high-tech. It's not that old (laughs) down-funk junk. I did did buy the uh, leather leotard option for my Dyson. Oh, uh, yeah? It looks good. Okay. Well, First Lieutenant Crane gave Rumster the third degree, but no use. He looked guilty. His voice sounded guilty, and his story had a few frayed edges. But he denied the crime while admitting he had the best motive for it. Sure, I hated him. Sure, he slept with my wife. Sure, he was the only other surviving member of a tontine worth $7 million forged between men who had shared their darkest secrets as blackmail. But on the other hand, 
I really don't like needles, and my mom is willing to swear to that. Checks out. Yeah. <laughs> then Professor Dubois, introduced to the accused as a friend of the late Richard Mason, went to work. It made me laugh sardonically to hear the professor build up a case for, quote, the subtle revivifying effects of music, that is, the vibrations we call music. Well, you call it music. I wouldn't say top 40 qualifies myself, you know, but I'm a prick. <laughs> you know, side note, I once had a professor. I took a class on jazz history in college, and he refused the entire semester. He never used the term jazz. He would only call it Afrocentric syncopations, commonly known as jazz. Okay. Yeah, that's exciting. In his book, Backgrounds of Psychology, Professor Dubois called the ancients misguided and misguiding interpreters of natural phenomena with no just claim whatsoever to science. But to Rumster, he said, the wise men of the ancient world, Asclepiades and Pythagoras, taught and demonstrated the profound effect of music upon the body. In fact, I believe it's the Pythagorean theorem that states... Give me the rhythm and it'll be off with their clothes. Then bend over to the front and touch your toes. <laughs> the sages... The of harmony of the spheres. <laughs> the sages of Egypt, indeed, went so far as to bring life to the dead. So it is reliably reported. He went on and on, citing the reports of travelers in the Orient. And after that sank in, he mentioned the Bhutanese piper. One wise old man, who has astounded observers by his ability to infuse life into the recently dead with the magical music of his pipe, has been brought to this country, and he showed Rumster clippings from the sensational press, which of course had been inspired by the unscientific experiments of the mystic society. And here's the headline from a Vibe magazine review of his last concert, Lively Music for a Dead Crowd. Well, as the professor kept on, Rumster scoffed, but he was getting uneasy, perspiring, wondering. Then Professor Dubois said, Last night, after hearing of the marvelous success of this piper from Bhutan, we brought him to the bear of Richard Mason to try him out. Well, it's a 30-day trial period because we've had some trouble in the past with people who've said they were proficient with Microsoft Office and raising the dead before, only to find out they hadn't even heard of Access. <laughs> Which, of course, can be used to raise the dead. Oh. <laughs> uh, you jump up to SQL Server. I wonder <laughs> what kind of mystical fucking Doctor Strange over here. One learning tree course later, and I can make a couple tables that raise the dead. Uh, Lynda.com is more likely to <laughs> sponsor us, Rob. So let's just push that, right? <laughs> ah, bonobos. And it worked. Lieutenant Crane cut in. It worked, Rumster yelled, and Lieutenant Crane growled, Yeah, yeah, that's what I said, and we got his word that you did it, murdered him. And we're gonna put him on the witness stand, too, even if I got a weekend at Bernie's hand onto the Bible. <laughs> totally legally eligible. Is that the sequel to the <laughs> Legally Blonde? <laughs> while, while Rumster chafed and squirmed, the lieutenant calmly fished a typed confession from his pocket and gave it to Rumster to sign. But Rumster whispered, you, you, you can't fool me like that. I demand to see a lawyer or Jennifer Love Hewitt, maybe. 
This is no joke, Rumster, Professor Dubois said very gravely. We made a phonographic recording of what happened last night. When that strange music of the Bhutanese piper lured the soul of Richford Mason, your late partner, back to his dead body, I know, Rumster, I spoke to Mason. And he is no fan of yours, let me tell you. They say, <laughs> don't speak ill of the dead, but it does not go both ways. <laughs> One thing I can't take away from Professor Dubois, he is a master of suggestion, and he demonstrated it that night. Rumster forced a laugh, but fooled nobody. He was scared. Still, he would not sign the confession. At Professor Dubois' signal, I walked to the phonograph on the table, and after a few more questions, the professor said, Go ahead. Needle drop. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen Rumster's eyes pop as the record started. The music started faintly, the piping gaining strength and abruptly breaking into a wild interblending of notes and octaves, utterly bewildering in its harmony. Over and over the haunting music repeated, sad, wailing, mysteriously appealing, and then a new note lilted into it, and the music faded off a bit, and suddenly there sounded a voice, hollow, throaty, the groan of one waking uneasily from deep slumber. Sonorously, it spoke. Who calls me? Why do you wake me? What do you want? It better be good. I was just about to play Mafia with George Washington and Kant, and it was going to be such an easy win. <laughs> Those guys. <laughs> well, they're playing the, the werewolf Mafia. You know? I was thinking Mafia 3. So <laughs> okay. They're both known for their ethical treatment of telling the truth, which makes it very hard for them to win in a social deduction game. This would help if I had played Mafia before. M -M Mason, Rumster wheezed, and from the phonograph came the voice of Professor Dubois, quavering, It is I, John Dubois. Oh, came the monotonously dull voice. Why am I called back? A matter of justice, Richford. A question to ask. Then silence, save for the weird wail of the pipe. Richford, Richford, are you still there? If you're talking, we can't hear you. Maybe you're on mute. I was on mute. <laughs> Conference calls of the dead. Again, the voice of Dubois. Please, Richford, do not sleep. Just for a while, please, do you hear me? I do. I hear you. But this pains. What do you want? Seriously, it's pretty crazy around here right now. Just send me an email. Tell me, who killed you? I am not dead. Oh, see, guys, my alibi holds up. Cool. Is this is this admissible? Because can I get a, a sound clip of this? Or... <laughs> I know. You do not know. Not until you are where I now am will you know. Now I know the meaning of what men fear. Merely the body. 
Yes, Richford, who killed your body? Yes, Richford, if you could be just a little less pedantic about the definition of being dead. Well, this script wasn't very good. I thought I would punch it up a bit. <laughs> Him I pity, not hate. What a fool. Did he know what I now know, what I now see? Never would he have done it. But here all things are clear. Into the innermost heart and thoughts of those left behind does one see. And I know the anguish and torture that possesses guilt burdened soul uh yeah uh hey richford kind of running out of wax here could you just <laughs> throw out a name buddy who richford who was it rumster marvin rumster the moment i took that medicine he mixed for me i knew for my cough he said i asked for chloroseptic but I didn't taste the chlora, if you get my meaning. <laughs> that terrible choking cough. But now, of all that I am now free. The record ended abruptly. I halted the machine and Lieutenant Crane pushed the confession into Rumster's lap. I got a wink from Professor Dubois because it was certain that Rumster couldn't stand much more. He sighed and gulped and played with the confession, but at length he stiffened and started denying all over again. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I tell you. I don't care how popular the song gets. It's, it's Paola. <laughs> nobody, nobody really likes this one. <laughs> Lieutenant Crane came back to him. All right, then you tell that to him. We didn't want to hurt him, but I see we got to do it. That was the cue for Professor Dubois' ace. The lieutenant and I wheeled the cadaver into the room, right next to the gaping rumster. That worked on him for several minutes, and after we gave him smelling salt, and he was still weakly refused to sign, Professor Dubois brought the Bhutanese piper into the room. This is an odd parade, a cavalcade of people coming. Mr. Rumster, this is your life taking murder. <laughs> The wizened old man's eyes lit up when he saw the corpse. He tuned up his pipe with several sharp squeaks and waited eagerly for the signal from Professor Dubois. Okay. Blue birch bark canoe on three, <laughs> two. <laughs> Ready, the lieutenant rapped at Rumster, gripping him by the collar to keep him from turning away from the corpse. That was my cue. I sidled over to the corner so that the catch could just barely protruding from the rug could be an easy reach of my toe. To, get, to set the second record going. Ready, repeated the lieutenant, shaking Rumpster. What for? To talk to Mason as soon as he comes back. Uh, yeah, his personal assistant Astral messaged me that he's on some spectral business right now, but he's going to be back to revenantly torment you in just a second, okay? To tell him? Rumpster cried that he couldn't, wouldn't. All right, then, sign that confession. It's like, it's like normal business, but there's a, it's a lot more ethereal. <laughs> but they have all the same infrastructure. 
you basically you could just see through the telephones. Yeah. <laughs> I had the idea that Rumster sobbed out, Yes. But Lieutenant Crane nodded to the professor, and the professor signaled to the Bhutanese, who proceeded to fill the room with his eerie music. Low, weirdly wailing, precisely as on the first record. Oh, yeah. Thank God he's playing the hits and not tracks <laughs> off the new album. Oh, I hate that. I mean, I've paid 350 <laughs> bucks for these tickets and the Ticketmaster charge. And, hey, I want to hear Weird Wailing. <laughs> Play Weird Wailing again. Weird Wailing! It gained strength slowly, somehow beating through you, gripping you. Fascinated, I stared at Rumster's blood-drained, open-mouthed face. I saw him gain control of himself abruptly, leaping a full yard off the sofa, bolting madly for the door. No, no, wait, let him go. It might just be overactive bladder. <laughs> they don't want to have to replace the sofa. Or that rug. <laughs> I mean, they replaced that rug and the whole operation's <laughs> off. How are they going to explain that <laughs> switch under the rug? Grieving, let me out! He was collared at the door by Lieutenant Crane, and he signed the confession there, scribbling his name as if his life depended on it, and was pushed out into the arms of a waiting detective. Just hold me, detective. Just hold me. <laughs> I saw Professor Dubois walk toward the grinning lieutenant while the Bhutanese wailed away, and with startled suddenness, there broke into the weird strain of voice. The voice of Richford Mason, groaning ghastily, Horrified, I whirled on the corpse, and as God is my judge, gentlemen, the explanations and skeptical remarks of Professor Dubois to the contrary, I swear I saw those thin blue lips part, the eyelids of that yellowish waxy face flutter. The nether regions stay relatively uh, motionless, which, thank Jesus, I think. I don't know what we would have done. Maybe I did go temporarily berserk, but what I saw and heard, I, I rushed headlong for that piper, bore him into the sofa, ripping the pipe away from his mouth and smashing it over my knee. Oh, come on. What, how's he going to do hot crust buns as an encore? <laughs> it's all ruined. The professor and the lieutenant grabbed me, crying out as if I had gone stark crazy. I yelled out what had happened. Why, the professor said while the lieutenant guffawed, you yourself set the record going. I fell back when he said that, for the second record was designed just that way. But then I fairly leaped at him, telling him the truth, gentlemen. In my excitement, I completely forgot to tug the catch. <laughs> Probably why he's still excited. <laughs> oh, I hate it when that happens. Professor Dubois's face went pale at that. He stooped behind the sofa, examining the phonograph. He emerged with a record in his hand. You're wrong, dead wrong, he said slowly, huskily. A look, a little bit like fright, was on his face. You did set this record off. That voice we, you, heard was from the record. I mean... You heard it read out the time and the station call sign, and there was an ad for Ashley Madison. I mean, it's it was definitely recorded. <laughs> Why, sure, Lieutenant Crane put in. Only a guy as guilty as Rumster would believe this music, humbug. When you're dead... But I looked down at the catch protruding from the rug. Not a centimeter more than the sixteenth of an inch 
at which had it originally been fixed was it protruding. Oh my God, how horrible. Oh Lord, he mixed the imperial and metric systems in the same sentence. It just defies all logic and the laws of God. <laughs> that's what we're up, upset about, right? Yeah, that's, that's the okay. problem here. Okay. The professor laughed when I showed that to him. And he laughed again when I asked him why he hadn't shown the record to me to prove I was wrong instead of so hurriedly taking it from the hidden phonograph. I don't like the way you handle my pieces of vinyl, okay? You're supposed to do it on the edges. <laughs> pieces of vinyl. <laughs> that's what that's what we call them, Rob. <laughs> I've heard it. I've, I've read it in a lot of places. Pieces of vinyl. Uh, yeah, you've read it, but have you ever heard it? <laughs> then I asked him why the ghastly groaning had stopped precisely when I ripped that pipe from the Bhutanese. And he called me a gullible, sophomoric fool. When you threw that old man into the sofa, the impact jarred the phonograph, halting the record. Which, in turn, set off a Rube Goldberg series of levers and winches that resulted in the corpse's mouth being hit by some sort of domino that made it look like he was speaking. <laughs> that forced upon me how the mind of a scientist, no less than the zealous religionists, can become grooved and open only to orthodoxy. Oh, yeah, you got to watch out. I mean, it all starts you know, hanging out with people that think P equals NP, and then suddenly you're in a sex cult with that reporter lady from Smallville. It's a, <laughs> Slip, slippery slope? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Chloe, no! But as I turned angrily to leave, I saw one more thing. And what I saw, coupled with the furious outburst I got from Professor Dubois when I mentioned it, made me fly off the handle and tell the professor the strong but true words for which he now would have me expelled. But let's just say there was a misunderstanding over the word pilo erection and leave it at that. <laughs> I saw the arms of Richford Mason, the lifeless arms which had been folded across his chest in a posture of serene repose, I saw them, hanging limply, almost trailing to the floor from the sides of the table bed. The End Oof. Rob, um... Can I just, can I read something to you? I Yes, you, you, you may read something to me, Alan. Okay, this is an excerpt from uh, The Facts in the Case of Monsieur Valdemar by Edgar Allan Poe. As I rapidly made the mesmeric passes amid ejaculations of dead, dead, absolutely bursting from the tongue, and not from the lips of the sufferer, his whole frame at once, within the space of a single minute or even less, shrunk, crumbled, absolutely rotted away beneath my hands, upon the bed, before that whole company, there lay a liquid mass of loathsome, of detestable putridity. And now our story... The dead guy's arms were hanging down, guys. Freaky stuff. 
<laughs> Poetry is in the eyes of the beholder, Alan. Uh, this story uh, from a cheap issue of Weird Tales was clearly as good as Edgar Allan Poe. Well, they were standing on the shoulders of people who were better writers than them. <laughs> very, very true. Well, this was a chilling tale of... Um, people accidentally hitting tables and arms loosely falling to the floor of dead people. But uh, what did you think the uh, the moral of this story was? Uh, yeah, you shouldn't kill people. You should just maybe cut their throats or something, you know, so they can't speak and, and point you out. And then I guess you got to chop off their fingers, too, so they can't actually point you out. It's uh, it's complicated. It's complicated. <laughs> yes, it is complicated. I... I uh... I see the moral more as um, don't go to a shitty college because uh, a good college is is not going to expel you for this kind of bullshit. Yeah, and that, it's a lot of swearing, but I got I stand by this. There was a lot of swearing. It seemed completely unnecessary, <laughs> but I guess the good college wouldn't kick you out for that, Rob. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, that about wraps it up for this week's episode. I hope everybody will. Come back from the dead and tune in next time for another exciting Interrupted. It ain't true that your life has kicked you. It's your mind and that's all that's tricking you. So step in line. So come on, babe. Follow me. I'm the Pied Piper. You can do it at any time. Damn.